It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton, Kevin L. Jackson, and Thomas Carter here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Thomas, Kevin, how are we doing? Hey, how you doing today? It's great. I can't wait for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Maybe maybe some some drier and and warmer weather. We'll see here in the Atlanta area. I got to say, it's beautiful out here in, in sunny San Diego. So uh, glad I to hate there. you, Thomas. You're on a. <laughs> I understand you're at a beach house right now. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, oh, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good little situation we're in right now, uh, enjoying every minute of it, and glad awesome. to be on. Thanks, everybody. You bet. Well, very jealous. Green with envy here. But we got an outstanding conversation teed up. Of course, today is our latest installment of our very popular Digital Transformers series, powered by our friends here at Total Network Service. Appreciate that. Kevin and Thomas, we've got a wonderful show teed up around securing the ICT supply chain. That might be a new acronym for some of our community members. It was kind of new for me, and I've been in the telecommunications industry. Information, <laughs> information Communications Technology, ICT, and how can we secure that supply chain, as well as get an update on some of the big challenges and topics impacting that really important industry. Right, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. I tell you, the we, we all depend upon the telecommunications industry to talk, to exchange pictures, to send our videos, to listen to our music. It's really ingrained in our lives. So um, I, I think this is a, it's very important to everything. And every industry leverages this network. Agreed. Agreed. Very timely conversation we're having here today. We were talking pre-show as, as in our family, in our household, three small kids have been learning remotely for 12 months. And, and that really brought it home in particular, if it wasn't already, in terms of the value of that connectivity and how can we really protect it for all. Thomas, you know, when you think about what we're going to be talking about here today, what's one thing maybe that you're looking forward to before we bring our guests on? You know, I think it's, uh, again, everybody just getting uh, comfort to know that uh, when they're uh, when, when we need security uh, and any communication device that, uh, you know, it's there. And I think blockchain is going to play a huge role that, uh, that in that right now and in the future. Outstanding. Good stuff there. We're looking forward to our conversation. Let's say hello to a few of our folks that have already logged in uh, across the community here. Adeem is is dialed in via LinkedIn. Great to have you uh, with us here today. Peter, you can't do a live stream. Peter has been on fire, a part of our live stream, sharing his, his POV across the, the comments, across social. So great to have you back with us, Peter. Madison is back from Indianapolis. Great to have you here, Madison Smoot via LinkedIn. Daria, Daria Patel, great to have you back as well there on LinkedIn, and um, hopefully y'all have brought your voice with you. So we've got no shortage of big topics to weigh into here today. All right, with no further ado, Thomas and Kevin, really excited. Right before we bring our guests on, quick programming note, if you enjoyed this live stream, not only check out Digital Transformers and with Kevin L. Jackson, one of our hottest new series, but you can also find Supply Chain Now wherever you get your podcasts from. Be sure to subscribe for free so you don't miss a single conversation much like this one. All right, 
So, Kevin, Thomas, y'all ready to bring in our, our featured guests? I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Uh, we are, too. Let's bring in David Stalin, CEO of the Telecommunications Industry Association, and Chris Poli, Senior Director, Product Line Management with Comscope. Hey, hey, Dave and Chris, good afternoon. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Hey, well, great to see you. Hello, Chris and Dave. Dave, as we were talking pre-show, I love your backdrop. Your backdrop, uh, I don't know about y'all guys, but it just, it makes me feel more serene and peaceful right? and cool, calm and collected. Well, I'm in my unsecure location and, <laughs> and I'd say it's unsecure because my daughter could walk in at any moment. <laughs> hey, such is life in 20, 2020 and 2021, right? Well, great to have you both. Really, really, as we were talking before we uh, brought you into the stream, really excited about this conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm ready with my 17 pages of notes to learn from uh, your experiences and, and what you're seeing in the industry, and as is our community. So, so let's get started. Let's let's get to know to kind of set the table a bit, Dave. Um, tell us more about TIA and, and what the organization does. Sure, TIA is a, an organization that's been around for more than 80 years in one form or another. And we kind of have four key pillars. One is we develop standards. So we're an accredited standard development organization, have developed thousands of standards over that period of time. Two is we improve business performance. So we come up with a lot of different offers and solutions with our participants and members to improve business performance. Number three is we help enable new technology. So there's lots of new technology out there, but Sometimes it needs a push, and sometimes it, it, in order to reach its potential, you have to do certain things to bring that technology along, even before you reach the standard level. And number four, we do government advocacy. So we will work with the U.S. government, uh, the administration, uh, Capitol Hill, the various agencies, friendly governments around the world to support uh, what's important to our industry and our membership. No, that that's amazing. You know, people really don't think about what's behind their smartphone. Right. Um, and you think about what you think about, like in 2020, I thought a lot about toilet paper, right? So how the supply chain kind of broke and I couldn't do what I had to do. Because too, much too much information, Kevin, too much information. Okay, okay. But what are the what are the key supply chain challenges with my smartphone? You know, <laughs> I'm worried. Yeah. Well, so right before uh, right before we talk about those key supply chain challenges, I want to give Chris an opportunity to weigh in really quick about TIA. And but before Chris, we get you to weigh in. I understand in our pre-show pre-show conversation that Dave, you and Kevin both are Annapolis uh, graduates, and I think we're all in the same class together. Yeah, we are, but you look a lot younger than I do. <laughs> well, no, it seems like, you know, yeah, a while ago, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, blessed be the ties that bind, and I'm yeah. sure there's plenty of stories there. We have to have uh, address that on, on an upcoming episode. So really neat there. <laughs> so, Chris, before we before Kevin kind of takes us down and, and we talk supply chain challenges, Chris, Comscope, from my understanding, is a longtime big supporter and member of the TIA community. You know, where do you all see a lot of value in, in, in your participation? Sure. So um, before I get to that, I just wanted to tip my hat to both Kevin and Dave. I wanted to go to Annapolis. I got as far as a nomination. I didn't get an appointment. So uh, it's, it's good, to, good to hear that both of you have that connection. Thank you. So um, I, know, I know it's a, it's a, it's a very um, 
challenging path to take and and uh, certainly come out with a lot of mm. a lot of um, experience and, and knowledge and, and so forth from from that uh, type of experience at any rate comscope is just one member of of tia i think that they have you know hundreds of members probably four or five hundred four hundred members anyway companies we're just one of them we do get some benefits out of uh, that participation with tia but i think that you know one of the things that tia brings that particularly with respect to the standards works, but also the other elements that David mentioned was that they absolutely work on neutral ground. And, and I think that that becomes valuable for industry acceptance. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That agnostic voice, uh, such a great point there, Chris. All right. So now, Kevin, we're going to talk about one of our favorite subjects here, which is what? Supply chain. <laughs> Hold the toilet paper, though. That's right. Hold it. <laughs> so uh, I'm dying to hear what spot. What you know? How do I make sure my pictures and um, videos on my cell phones are still there? What are the supply chain challenges in t- in uh, telecommunications? Oh man, let me let me start off. Number one, it's ever changing. Number two it's pervasive. You know, when you think about the supply chain in any industry, uh, as you alluded to earlier, Kevin, there are many, many aspects. And one of the biggest challenges we have right now is that technology is outpacing security. And I heard that from a very high level uh, government uh, secretary level this week, because TIA, as I mentioned, does a lot of advocacy work with the government. And they clearly recognize that technology is advancing at such a rapid rate that security is struggling to keep up. Mm-hmm. So from mm-hmm. one perspective, when we take and the, the view of, of our using our cell phones or using our computer and we're, how we're connected, it not only gives me that wireless connection back to the closest cell tower, which may be a, a, currently a mile away from your house, soon it will be maybe a thousand feet away from your house as, as 5G and 6G kick in. But then it's wired from that point back into the network. Mm. So then you connect to fiber optics and you uh, connect to switches and routers and you connect to systems like Comscope makes. You know, Comscope is a company that's been around for years and years. And maybe Chris can give us a little bit of an overview in a minute. But then it goes to your home or it goes to your the, the building or the data center that you're speaking to where uh, a server is located that you place your Amazon order through. And you just think about all those different components, hardware, software, all the labor that goes to make it happen, all the labor that goes to keep it working. It is massive. When, When I got in this industry in the 1980s, that's when we had these regional Bell operating companies, Arbox. You know, at the time it was Bell Atlantic and Ameritech and Southwestern Bell and Pactel. And it's, it, it had been broken apart in 1984 by the government uh, when AT&T got too big. So it got split right. up into these baby bells. At that time, a company such as a Bell Atlantic might have had 20,000 suppliers, 20,000 suppliers. Jeez. Now they're down Amazing. to, I don't know the exact number, but you're down to maybe 1,000. But then when you look at each of those suppliers and all the aspects that make up that system, you have not only software, although you just we, we kind of lump it together and call it software, but how does a software service get built? It gets built on various stacks that then get added to and built on. And it is 
It is something that makes up hundreds or thousands of companies behind the thousand that a, a service provider might use. So it is a very, very deep and challenging way that we need to look at this industry and understand how deep and wide it is, how important it is to our life. It's just like the air we breathe these days, connectivity is, yet technology is outpacing security. So Chris, what are those components? I know um, that Comscope really provides a lot of real value to the network, so to speak. So we play a lot in in all parts of, of uh, the net, I shouldn't say all parts of the network, but very many parts of the network, right? We, we do everything from access points to cable modem termination systems for the cable companies to optical line terminators and, and, and so forth. So we play heavily in the backhaul. We pay, play heavily, you know, cross fiber optics and so forth, all types of access network components, as well as the, you know, the head end and consumer premise equipment that participates in all of this. So routers and, and cable modems and so forth. In terms of, of the overall challenges from a supply chain standpoint, just to reemphasize what Dave already said, if you just look at, at the rollout of 5G or if you, if you start to, to roll into um, an ORAN type of environment, you now have multiple, multiple players that are building up a, a functional component of that 5G radio access network and, and backhaul. And, and those different components comprise of, and, and it doesn't matter if it's all one supplier or, or many, you know, open source content that gets drawn from the network. And how do you vet that to make sure that there's nothing malicious buried in it? Yeah, great point. Yeah. If I can real quick, Kelly Barner shared something, and we were talking about this a little bit pre-show, and Kevin, she's really uh, latched on your point. But, you know, <laughs> if you think about a traditional dial tone, not cellular, but, you know, dial tone that that's still, of course, hugely prevalent. Every time you pick up, it's like breathing air, right? That's what we were talking about, Dave. Every time you pick up the phone, you're gonna you expect to hear that dial tone, and, and it's just that expectation that we have as humans these days. But think about if Kelly, it's a great point. Uh, we all I think as consumers know far less about what makes smartphone work than where TP comes from. But think about look at an automotive industry, right? The semiconductors, right? We're we're, we're having a hard time meeting demand, and so they're making less automobiles, right? You got some plants have shut down. Well, we can't afford for connectivity to shut down if, if we can't, you know, if, if we can't make sure we we meet that demand. And, and Dave, your point about 20,000 suppliers, and now there's just around a thousand, man, that is eye-opening, you know? All right. So yeah. I think, Kevin, we're going to be talking about what TIA is doing, right? Yeah. One thing, I mean, it seems like the challenges could be overwhelming. And while the challenges are growing and changing, the the resources seem to be going down. If you've gone from 20,000 to 1,000, you know, how how is this done? And how do you, TIA, help members like Comscope, you know, deal and address these challenges? Yeah, it's... Uh we have to pick and choose those things that are really important to the industry. Hmm. As Chris mentioned, we're neutral. We're technology neutral, but we're very, very big advocate for the industry and our membership. So number one, we need to have a private public relationship, meaning we have to have a relationship with the government. But number two, 
the private industry has to lead the change. We can't be forced to make changes by the government. That never works. The government typically is further behind. It gets too overbearing. It becomes unworkable. So we want to have a great relationship with all the various government agencies, Capitol Hill, who makes the laws, the FCC or the NTIA, who implements the laws, the various administrations, Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, for example. But we want to make sure that we're staying ahead of them and solving problems before they become massive. That's, mm. that's first of all. Second of all, to, to build on something Chris said, the world, as we go more and more software-oriented, also creates great opportunity. Think about all the apps you have available on your phone. Right. You know, 15 years sure. ago, you never would have thought of that. But now there's almost an unending number of applications. That's all software-driven. The hardware makes it possible, but the creativity comes from the software. Now, the challenge with that is you got all these people making software applications <laughs> and other things. So how do, you, how do you know they're honest? How do you know they're trustworthy? So that's a big focus of what we do is with a, a new addendum to a long existing standard we have in place that is focused on supply chain security. So we believe that security is a subset of quality. You can't have a quality product, a quality service, a quality network unless you build in rather than bolt on security. Mm. So in order to build in that security, you have to go back to the supply chain. We both talked earlier about where does that software come from? If uh, mm. company A is making a, a, an application or a service that's software-based, they typically will buy stacks or multiple stacks and add their uh, proprietary value on top of that. Where do those stacks come from? How can you ensure that the, whoever made those stacks is a good actor, is a trustworthy actor? How can you ensure that what they developed a year ago is still good and secure today? So these are all issues that we're dealing with, with a, a new supply chain security addendum to our existing, what's called TL9000, which is the industry's total quality management standard that we've been running for over 20 years working with service providers, governments, individual companies, members, participants. And we've, uh, we're in the process of adding this addendum, this supply chain security addendum that'll be released this year. You know, you just kind of answered the question a bit, but maybe you could touch on it a little bit more. Why is uh, TIA the right organization to address these issues? Sure, well, we are neutral. We're, we are advocates for the industry. Uh, we talked earlier about how uh, connectivity is like the air that we breathe. And we, our intent is to be the trusted industry association for the connected world. Trusted, so we need to we need to build trust in the industry and around the world with subscribers, with members, with participants, with anyone that uses connectivity. We're industry association, which means we're, we're neutral from a technology perspective. And we recognize that the world, not just the US, for example, but the world is connected. So this is a worldwide issue that needs to be solved. So by having an organization that can come together and bring together participants, knows how to create standards, is neutral, and advocates for this industry, we think we're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to just add to that, right? And, and, it, and it builds on not just what you just said, but also what you had said before about um, governments, right? The government, I'm, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Go <laughs> so run, run away. 
it's, it's, it's actually quite a bit worse than that. It's I'm from the governments, plural, and I'm here to help. Right. And that's really where TIA with that with that international footprint, international customers or international membership and so forth comes into play and is able to build across. I'll, I'll just say governments that have a very personal invested interest and, and keep that neutrality. And, and also to uh, Dave's prior point about building security in uh, from the outset, right? You can't, it, it doesn't really help to build a fence after the horse is out of the barn. So it really, it, it's really something that is, uh, that has to be addressed up front because there are going to be some times when you're not going to be able to get that horse back in the barn. I love that, Chris. Uh, hey, Tom, let me interject really quick. I want to share a couple of comments from the community here. Uh, first off, uh, David is with us, and David says, I must be able to slam that phone down in anger. <laughs> Pushing on the glass doesn't have quite the same effect as hanging up with someone. <laughs> Excellent point there, David. Great to have you. Peter makes a great – I mean, I think this is one of the key themes in recent – you know, since the pandemic started in particular, you know, trusted – vetted relationships that deliver that pro that, that solves problems together. Excellent yeah. point. And you know, we were talking, I, I mentioned a second ago about the semi, the um, semiconductor shortages, right? The chips. He remembers, I think this might be, and, and, and Clay and Amanda, let, let me know who this is. I remember four years ago, feeling the pains of the bottlenecks in the global capacitor supply. Good point there. Pratik, great to have you join us. And Davin says supply chain. Now Otterbox is your friend. And go droid cheaper. Better. <laughs> Thank you for uh, great editorials there by David. All right. So, Thomas, where are we going next? Yeah. So, Dave, maybe you could uh, tell us about what sort of progress has uh, TIA made so far and, you know, where are you guys at with a lot of these issues? Sure. Sure. So, we are building on that infrastructure I spoke of before. So, we've been running this telecom total quality management process system for 20 years. So, we have a, a long embedded experience level and membership base that we can build upon. We did a very deep and continue to do a very wide analysis of the landscape of all the other standards that are out there. There's a ton of standards, but none are specifically addressing the ICT industry, the telecom space, when it comes to security. Three, we spent a lot of time with the US government talking about what they're doing. now. Security is a buzzword that everyone talks about. Now, one of the challenges that the government has is you might have 10 or 15 different organizations that are all working on something. They all have a working group, but what's the output? How do you measure it? Are you really going to improve security? So part of what we do is educate on why what we're doing is different. And, and really the big difference is we know how to build a standard and we know how to build a standard that can be certified against. So it's one thing to say, here's the bar. It's another thing to say, let me see if you can get over the bar. Right. And then let me do some benchmarking to see how many companies can get over the bar and what the, mm. what the best in class is, what the average is, what the worst in class is. So you know the security is something that you always have to improve. You always have to raise the bar. So mm. we brought together well over 35 companies, well over 100 individuals that are working on developing this standard. We have multiple working groups, and Chris is involved in, in this standard specifically. We have multiple working groups that are looking at this problem holistically, hardware, software. How do you evaluate trust? How do you measure trust? All these types of working groups that are creating the standard by 
by the middle of the year, we'll have kind of our first pilot release. And by the end of the year, version 1.0 will be completely released and we'll have all the measurements in place at that time. And one of the challenges you have is to continue to build commitment to take on this standard. As I mentioned before, nobody likes a standard because it forces you to do things that you haven't been doing already. It maybe kind of puts you a little bit into a box, but we've seen, clearly we've seen in recent past, how important having a standard and how important it is to be able to measure trust. Great point. And you know, really quick, when it comes to standards, and in many ways, they can be seen as building blocks, right? One of your points you made a moment ago is you can never, you can never, you know, uh, from a cyber security standpoint, you know, put in place uh, protection and then it's done. You know, I mean, yeah. it's ongoing, evolving. And, and, and the way I've always seen standards in industry, it provides us a, a best practice foundation. And then as the industry evolves, you know, the standards evolve, you know, living and breathing uh, and, and, and everyone wins. Uh, there's that create a community of, of proven best practices. So I'm big fan. And, and, and Dave, I believe, uh, speaking of standards, you recently joined the ANSI board, which sets a ton of standards from a safety standpoint. So standards may be, may be part of your uh, DNA, huh? Yeah, yeah. I just joined the ANSI board and ANSI uh, is the U.S., the American National Standards Institute, which looks at all standards and bringing them into the global community. And the importance there is, you know, it's it's a known fact that over the past 10 or 15 years, the Chinese companies have been really trying to drive the leadership of various standards institutes and associations. And the U.S. has not been pushing as much as we should. And I saw that the telecommunications space was kind of underrepresented at ANSI, and, uh, in specific, and then in general, the U.S. is underrepresented in international standards bodies. Outstanding. That, that's a wonderful point to make there. All right. So quick question before we keep driving here, Kevin, to our yeah. community. Uh, y'all weigh in. What What are your curious, you know, this is a wonderful opportunity to weigh in with what you're seeing uh, standards-wise, cyber-wise. Uh, when we're talking about the solar winds, huge news development here uh, in a moment. So y'all weigh in. Let us know what you're thinking, What what keeps you up at night. All right, so Kevin, where are we going next? Well, I mean, this is, in a way, it's scary that the mandate is so wide for TIA, so many things that are critical to our entire society, our global society. But you, you talk about solar winds. Um, so, so from a software point of view, you highlighted the fact that it's not just one thing. There's a lot of components in that software and as we transition to 5G, the services, the web-based services that are going to be consumed, the um, APIs or application programming interfaces hmm. that are need to build services and that these services are going to be constructed in real time. You know, they won't, they may not exist when you start your call, but the infrastructure will figure out what you need and pull in the right APIs and the right software just in time to uh, deliver it to you. So how did these recent cyber attacks affect your current activities, especially around the security of software and web services and APIs? Yeah, let me just start that off. I think I think it pounded home the reality of the magnitude of the problem. 
as I mentioned before, technology is outpacing security. Mm. And this is just an example. And while I'm not an expert on this specific issue, at least 18,000 enterprises and government agencies were affected. It went on for over a year before they even got wind of it, so to speak. They used some very interesting way of going through third-party distributors to modify the software before it went to the end user. So if you're buying you know, uh, an operating system, rather than buying it directly from the company, uh, distributors make money selling operating, uh, passing on, passing through and distributing software packages. Well, they opened up the, that software, they put a little malware in there, uh, they repackaged it and sent it on and hoping and clearly it happened that people wouldn't realize that this is a problem. So you've got software issues, you've got hardware issues, you've got piracy issues, you've got counterfeit issues. You have a lot of things to look at here. Wow. And it's, it's a massive issue and we're only at the beginning of what it could be. Now, somebody uh, earlier in the conversation talked about 5G. One of the, and, and we also separately talked about how we're used to and rely on our, our cell phones. Well, mm -hmm. Five, one of the benefits of 5G is it enables very low latency services and real-time services, so connected cars, for example. So now you're going to be relying on a service through the network, and you're not, you know, you're playing a game on your phone rather than paying attention to where the where the car's going because the car's driving it. What if somebody screwed up your software and your system there? So the importance of a secure network only goes up probably an order of magnitude at least uh, when we start thinking about what 5G can enable and 6G after that and how important these networks are to us. It is the air we breathe. We want clean air. We don't want dirty air. Hmm. Wow, that's really uh, amazing. And, and you know, the, the importance of this not only is in software, but as you mentioned, in hardware as well. So does the, and it was a supply chain attack, right? <laughs> they attacked the software supply chain. So they may also attack the hardware supply chain. So it makes me think, does the SolarWinds hack on software have anything to do with the recent law that was passed about replacing the Huawei and ZTE equipment across the entire telecommunications infrastructure. They made that a law and it was, you know, I guess the FCC is really involved in that. How, how is TIA, uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, so uh, of course laws get written by Capitol Hill um, mm -hmm. and then the FCC implements the laws, if you will. Um, in, in this case. So TIA was very, very involved in helping to write that law and give advise Capitol Hill and the congressmen and senators on what ought to be written. We spent months and months and months helping them understand the issue. Now, what is loosely called the rip and replace bill uh, that was signed and then funded by Capitol Hill, and now that funding is uh, administered by the FCC, uh, that goes back to something called the Universal Service Fund. So a hundred years ago, when, when phones were just coming out, it worked well in the urban areas, but couldn't reach the, the, the suburban or the rural areas. 
Mm. So part of a tax that was put on every user, still in place in many cases, every user of a phone service goes to provide uh, connectivity to the rural parts in the smaller towns around the country. So anybody that's getting that universal service fund money is now required to pull out any untrusted vendor's gear. You mentioned a couple of those companies and replace it with trusted vendor's gear. So the government says, hey, we're giving you a subsidy, but we're not going to give you that subsidy unless you pull out this gear. Mm. Now, these companies bought this gear years ago in some cases. It seems like it's good, good gear. Uh, there are issues around it, but there a lot of the issues come from are these companies controlled by a state-owned entity? So that's part of the root. It is um, uh, it is related in uh, into the uh, solar winds issue, not directly but indirectly, because it's it's connected to untrusted suppliers. Right. So solar winds seems to be traced back to Russians. The issue when it comes to rip and replace was initially driven forward with an issue concern related to Chinese companies, mm-hmm. but related because it's untrusted suppliers. So if I could interject for a second, uh, Chris, I want to come to you next. I want to read a couple comments from our community. And Chris, I'd love for you to weigh in on, on what Dave has just been sharing. But really quick uh, from our community, AA, you know, I was asking what what's keeping folks up at night, really from a ICT standpoint, we got a wide variety of questions of comments. So, <laughs> cabin fever, along with Netflix, keeps AA there in the air capital uh, of the world in Wichita, Kansas, up. And we wake him up in the morning. Hey, I love that AA. Mm-hmm. That, needs, that needs to catch on a bit. Gary says, spoken like a true academic. Gary, <laughs> good afternoon. <laughs> Peter, I don't think I've gotten a tan. I certainly hadn't gone anywhere. I'm not, a, I'm not in San Diego, sunny San Diego, like uh, our friend Thomas here. Y- y'all let me know who, who made this comment here, but, uh, you know, do we have a steady stream of experienced security experts in mm. supply? Do we make too many assumptions with regards to security? Those are some great questions there. Saneha, hey, good morning. Great to have you here with us. She says her infant is pretty skilled at keeping her up at night. So, uh, <laughs> a lot of challenges. One more comment here. Madison says about technology, I get worried about what's being shadow banned and not shown to us. That's an interesting comment there, uh, as well as how much access others have to your personal information, uh, info. Excellent point. All right. So Chris, no shortage of, of big meaty topics that, that are facing both the ICT industry and, and for that matter, global industry, global business. What are some of the things that you'd that like to weigh in on based on, on what Dave was just sharing about the rip and replace? Yeah. So, so I think that, that uh, the comments that Dave made about the last couple of questions are, are actually spot on, right? When you talk about the overall uh, supply chain process and, and, and that dominant suppliers like a Huawei could have a potential security impact as reflected by the, the legislation that ended up being passed in the United States, right? It, it didn't get passed uh, worldwide, but, but it speaks more to what's possible and, and what you need to be vigilant, uh, vigilant about, right? Nobody, everybody wants security. I'll go ahead and preface it by saying nobody really wants to pay for it, but nobody really knows how much is enough, right? And that's what this standard process is intended to try to capture. At the end of the day, when you talk about supply chain, you're going to need to capture everything from hardware to software to every type of asset tool and operation, operational process. When you look at a supplier, it, it may not just be the, the supplier that you're looking at, he has OEMs and ODMs that make equipment for him. 
And so there's a spider web of supply that comes from any given entity, right? If I, if I buy a server that has a battery in it, there might be six different suppliers of, of that battery. You don't know which battery you're going to get um, into that particular piece of hardware or whatever it might end up being. So I think that looking at the supply chain with zero trust and providing, I'll, I'll say, a defense and uh, depth type of approach for every aspect of that supply chain is, is just highlighted by the solar winds attack, the ransomware that has hit some OEM folks. The, and the solar winds attack was, was kind of interesting. I'll, I'll kind of uh, make a correlation to uh, coronavirus, because I think everybody can, can relate to that given this past year. You, you isolate what you can, right? So you, you basically try to separate bodies from each other so that there's less interaction between them. You take precautions and, and put up firewalls and, and different types of, of uh, barriers, right? You wear a mask. Mm -hmm. You try to avoid being exposed to the infection. And, and if, if you do get the infection, you know, you look for ways to, to treat that infection. And so when you approach supply chain security, you kind of have to look at it holistically in, in, in a similar type of way. So if I can weigh in really quick, because Chris, you were speaking to trust. Thomas, as we came on on the front end here, you're talking about blockchain. And you, we got to talk about blockchain when, when anytime trust comes up. So Thomas, based on what Chris and Dave have been sharing, what are a, a thought or two as it relates to blockchain and, and how that might can be utilized in, in, in some of these challenges? Well, you know, uh, with the blockchain, you're going to get an immutable record of, you know, authentication. And I think having that authentication uh, is going to establish trust uh, through the entire supply chain. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's going to improve security around these issues and, um, it's definitely going to help, I think, solve a lot of problems here uh, in the in the near currently and in and in in the near future. Yep. All right. So where are we going next, Thomas, with Dave and, and Chris? Well, I think, uh, you know, that Dave, what are some of the um, technologies that uh, could solve some of these uh, challenges? Yep. So I, I think, first of all, you have a process in place. You build a standard that's holistic to help address this. Number two, you have to start from zero trust, as Chris mentioned, and go from there. Uh, number three, you have to continuously improve. But to your point earlier, Thomas, the objective is to create a supply chain where you can trace everything back to its root, not only the software stack, but what makes up the software stack, the hardware, the software, and then you add that immutability capability. And blockchain is a fantastic way to make that happen. So it locks it down. It's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. You have to continually improve. But by locking things down with a blockchain, by chaining those blocks together, you then have a, a record of everything that's in there. And it will help you lock it down, make it more immutable, but help you trace it back to the root if there's an issue uh, and you know how to change things. So I'll give you an example. So in the telecom space, when a, net, when a service provider is upgrading their network, they're upgrading their software. Typically they do it in the middle of the night. So a wireless service provider, name anyone around the globe, will do it in the middle of the night. And they do that because very few people are on the network. And mm. it sometimes takes uh, hours to upgrade that network. 
Well, they put an upgrade in place, then they try to switch over. And if there's no problem, they let it run for a little bit and everything's fine, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., along comes rush hour, and they've got their new uh, maintenance upgrade in place. If it doesn't work fine, they try to switch back quickly to the old load, but sometimes that doesn't work either. And so they need to find a way, just like any of us in any supply chain, have to find a way to understand where did things go wrong How do we lock it down? How can I find the root problem? And if you have something that's all immutable and locked down in advance, your transition to that new upgrade will be much easier and probably be more successful. So, you know, TIA is working on that standard with with a a wide range of uh, industry representatives. And then we are working with individual companies such as TNS to help build a blockchain and add that security in place. So, you know, we think blockchain is a wonderful way to help add that immutability, something that has not yet been used uh, widely in the telecom space. Excellent. Hey, uh, uh, Sneha, you've got a great question. I'm going to come to you in just a second, and Peter, your comment. But Chris, to Thomas's question and to, to, to what Dave's already shared, what other technologies are you seeing that can help us here? Yeah, so, so I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the to the solar winds example, and it should illustrate and bring in the use of blockchain and, and also uh, the comments that Dave had mentioned. But um, if you look at, at that set of breaches, it was done, and, and I'm going to use some some names that are, you can go and Google them if you want to, but you know the, the one that was most highlighted is something called Sunburst. And uh, Sunburst was, was something that was buried in a DLL. Uh, there was also a Supernova, which was also buried in a DLL. I'm sorry, buried in a what? A DLL. It's a dynamic link library. It's basically an executable uh, within the within software. But you know the way that they got uh, the supernova um, element was never signed. The sunburst piece was signed, and the way that they got the sunburst in was through something called Sunspot, which was mail malware on the build server. Mm-hmm. So so something like code signing can be useful, but understand it's not a magic bullet. Right. You still need to authenticate the sources of the inputs to that code. And you, and you need to, again, go back to every piece of asset, the operational tools that are used, as well as the, uh, the code itself. Right? You can scan binaries. You can scan source code. All those types of activities need to happen in order to establish that trust for whatever it is that you're putting out there. The code signing helps from the standpoint of you know that what you're putting out there is what's going to actually go on to the, the elements in the network. You know, you, you take for granted on your cell phone when you look for an application at the app store or wherever you go for your applications, or even if you add do an add-on on your uh, browser, you know, you inherently, if you're going to load the application or the add-on, you trust that source. Right. But as a consumer, I'd be willing to bet that over 99% of the time, it's not vetted. It's mm-hmm. not not checked in any way, right? What do you know what we're loading on to your system? Right. That's an excellent point that everyone can relate to. All right, we've got a great question. We're talking blockchain, and there's a ton of, of interest in blockchain. And, and, of course, there's a ton of already current solutions, current applications that are leveraging blockchain. Uh, Sneha, Sneha has a great question here, and, and and whomever wants to address it, I'll throw this up to our, our panel. That is, all four of y'all are much uh, uh, above my technological pay grade, by the way. All right. So she says, how effective do you suggest blockchain will be if it's not mirrored 
by the upstream supplier base as well? Great question. Anyone want to want to jump in on that? Well, one thing I'd like to say is that she's absolutely right. That's why no single organizations or single vendors blockchain could help here. And you need a industry-wide organization like TIA that's non-vendor specific and mm. really non-technology specific to look at really what's required to deliver the service and to, to build trust all the way up the, uh, the supply chain. Yeah, excellent point. And having a consensus around those protocols. Mm. Right. Yeah, great points. Because what's yeah. the standard if it's not embraced, endorsed, adopted by by the, the complete industry, right? Uh, you've got fractional. Right. And, and you want to link together various uh, blockchains. So mm. you might have a blockchain that makes up a specific product, but there are multiple products that are needed to create a service. So how do you link together those various blockchains that might be on different clouds made by different suppliers and different organizations? So there seems to be a need for an interface that connects various blockchains together in the ICT space. And that's something that TIA is frankly in the middle of researching right now. Yeah, Excellent. I think you bring up an important point. People hear the word standard. And it sounds like we're going to tell you what you have to do and everybody has to do it. But, you know, it, I think what TIA is working on is more like a, a specification, sort of how do you interface, how do you communicate across all these blockchains? This is interoperability. Is that is that correct? Is it more interoperability or specification than a standard? Yeah, so, um, you know, there are very technical standards, and that's kind of one perspective on a standard. Another is management systems, uh, such as we do with TL9000 on the business performance improvement side. We're not, in that scenario, we're not telling people specifically how they're going to do something, but what needs to get done. Mm -hmm. If you need to build something that's immutable, it's up to you to figure out how to make it immutable, as long as you can show us that, yeah, it's meeting that requirement. How you do it is up to you. So you mm. still have that individual company uh, creativity, but we're just trying to say the intent is to solve a security problem. How right. you do it is up to you, but you know the, the what is a checklist of things that you have to prove that you've accomplished. Uh, and the same would apply here in blockchain. Excellent point. And Sneha also points out, as, as we've seen in the event the, the, the defense industry uh, here in the U.S. as it as it implements more rigorous cybersecurity measures, some of the mom and pop companies are unable to meet and, and, and implement it due to budgetary constraints and other constraints. So great point here, Sneha. Uh, AA also says, I'm waiting for blockchain to mature so that we can apply it in aircraft industry. A trusted third party would definitely contribute greatly. Well, there's good news, AA. Peter, who spent several decades with Air Canada, says that the airline industry has been tracking cradle to grave for decades, and he's got former colleagues and friends working on blockchain solutions to manage this currently. Good stuff there, Peter and AA. All right, One Chris. Thing, um, just uh, off, sort of playing off of that, I mean, the airline industry uses the telecommunications industry to track all their components. So right. it, they're... There must be something there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like we said, connectivity is pervasive and becoming even more so 
So it, it crosses all types of verticals, uh, whether it's inside a building in, in uh, you know, it's another standard that we've been uh, working on and at our first release about a quarter ago as a smart buildings assessment criteria, the health and well-being, the safety, the security, the power and energy systems. We all know that we can get more efficient with the power and energy systems, perhaps using something like IoT and machine learning, but you have to solve that security problem. You, know, you don't want someone backdooring into that building and tunneling into your network through some unsecure IoT device. So point. like you said, it's very pervasive. You know, there's a great, uh, we've had um, some folks from a certain, a very large global electrical manufacturing organization. They had a great commercial on that. It was based on a true story, to your point, Dave, about smart buildings. And through employees' participation in a bowling league and, and by having their information in a very low level database for tracking scoring, hackers were able to, to, once they made that connection via social media that they were in this bowling league, they followed them to the bowling center, penetrated that low level uh, security, and then was able to track back in through a, thermo- uh, a smart thermometer on the manufacturing site via the IOT. So all of these, wow. it always brings back to, and, and I got to, We'll have to find the, the commercial drop it in, but it always brings me back to that long um, uh, proven saying, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And that is so ap- applicable in, in these conversations like we're having here today. Chris, before we um, you know start to wind down, I know we've, we've covered a lot of, uh, brought a lot of topics here in the last few minutes. Any additional thoughts on your end as, as we talk IoT, talk blockchain, talk about some of these other things? Sure. I mean, all those all of those um, approaches are applicable, right? And and so and so are also the idea of of bringing um, the the security from the operational networks that that are in place today and applying them to the supply chain activities explicitly, right? Um, to to secure end to end networks, as as um, David alluded to, telecommunications is part of of everything, and those networks are part of that factory function as well, code signing, scanning the component elements and, and so forth, right? And and really vetting every aspect of what's there is, is and using every tool in the toolbox, right? Uh, uh, that, that you're able to afford to use and apply effectively to improve the resilience of what you have, but you also need to be able to plan for what you do when something is compromised. Going back again to the solar winds, right? What do you do in order to restore the confidence in exactly what you're doing and ensure that you, you don't have other infections that have happened as a result of that one breach? Excellent point. But the horse in the barn example, love that. Or another example is when you, you've got a house leak. You know, the first thing you do, you don't start getting the water out. You find the leak and repair it. And then you get into you know, disaster <laughs> mitigation. Yeah. So much good stuff here, Chris and Dave, and, and, and I hate to start to wind the conversation down, but I did want to uh, correct myself. I think I said IoT thermometer. I meant thermostat. So I uh, want to clarify that really quick. Uh, we all love our smart houses and, and smart factories these days. All right. So, Scott, I will inject for a second. You uh, you talked about having small kids, and when I had small kids, my wife would always say, uh, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. <laughs> the temperature, don't just read it. <laughs> I'm going to steal that from you, Dave, completely. Completely steal it. A lot of good stuff there. All right, so let's make sure. I know that we can barely do any any of these really uh, deep issues justice in an hour conversation. However, I really appreciate 
what both of y'all have shared. Dave, how can folks plug in and you know, connect with you and plug in with TIA? Sure. Uh, just go to TIAonline.org and you can learn more about some of the things we're working on. Uh, feel free, and you, you can connect to us that way to perhaps be a participant in some of these standards that we're creating, or at the very least, understand some of the things that we're we're working on for this very, very important industry. Outstanding. Really appreciate your time here today. And I really appreciate the, you know, serving as that agnostic voice, really helping, you know, protect us all as we all consume connectivity and technology, you name it. So appreciate what you and your team are doing. And Chris, uh, what about yourself? How can folks connect with you and learn more about Comscope? So Comscope.com, we're all about uh, connectivity solutions and um, certainly reach out with any questions and so forth. Outstanding. Well, really appreciate both of your uh, gentlemen's time here today. We've been talking with David Stalen, CEO of Telecommunications Industry Association and Chris Poli, Senior Director Product Line and Management Comscope. Thanks to you both. Thank, Thank you very much. All righty. Have a great day. All right, Thomas and Kevin. Wow. Man, I, I couldn't get to all the comments. There's so, so many different wrinkles of that conversation that's tough to get into in an hour. You know, I want to give y'all, I, I want to, before we, we sign off here today, I'd love to get, you know, y'all's, y'all's key, really key takeaway. So far, if our community doesn't, they forget everything else. What's one thing that they should really latch on to and and, and, and key in on? And, and Kevin, let's start with you. So how important it is, how critical it is. I mean, it's not just telecommunications, right? We The airline industry uses telecommunications. Every building you're in uses telecommunications. Your smart home uses telecommunications. Software is is, is part of all of this. So if we don't get the software and our telecommunications secure, nothing secure. I can't trust my toaster, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or your car. So this supply chain for telecommunications, it's just so important. And people underappreciate it, I believe. Well, you know, uh, Kevin, folks probably underappreciated their ability to to drive into any grocery store, any point in time, any day of the week, any hour of the day, and and pick up TP, right? Right, right. And, Same and thing. Now we're it's right. Everybody just took it for granted, and and that as we talk about quite a bit here at Supply Chain now, if there's any, you know, there's so much heartburn and loss and and a lot of challenges through the pandemic, but there are great silver linings, and one of them is consumers are much more aware of how global supply chains work. And they're probably going to be much more aware about how the ITC, ICT, and why you're able to have connectivity, you know, at any point in time. And, and that awareness is really important. And that's where I really appreciate some of the great things that TIA is doing to drive that awareness. It's really important. All right. So, Thomas, there's so much. You probably have 17 pages of notes like I do. What's, what's, what's one big key thing? You know, uh, it, I think it gets back down to trust. You know, there needs to be uh, more trust and more, uh, you know, authentication end to end from inception to exit. And uh, having, you know, blockchain technology implemented through the different layers, I think, is going to uh, help support that trust. And with that trust, we're going to get more efficiency and uh, we're going to be able to build better technology solutions and layers on top of these. Yeah, yeah. Excellent point. And of course, we appreciate Total Network Service for helping us get these conversations out there. You've gotten a lot of comments already in the community, uh, appreciative of the information. So really appreciate that, Thomas Carter. 
All right. So Kevin, you're going to get the last question here today. Digital transformers. You know, we, we went from zero to hundred really quick, um, <laughs> you know, and, and Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm selfishly, I, I'm learning a ton because I'm not, unlike our great panel here today, you know, I'm not a technologist and uh, it doesn't come natural to me. So I've, I've enjoyed the learning opportunity, but what can folks expect as we, as we, uh, at a minimum, have a, a monthly show, uh, Kevin. What can right. folks expect from the series? Well, just like this one, every industry is transforming. And our networks, our software, our business processes, trust. I mean, we can no longer build trust through physical connection. I was talking the other day is that the the old way of building trust was through shared experiences. You would you know, take your your colleague or your customer to a Braves game, right? <laughs> and you can't do that anymore. Not a Yankees game, right, Dave? <laughs> Not a Yankees game. And putting time in with people is how you build trust. Well, in this virtual world, you know, the time has to be over what? The network. Right. So how do you vet the information that you're getting over the network? Yet another area where maybe blockchain can help. So digital transformation, the show is about addressing all of these challenges around, you know, business model transformation, social transformation, business transformation, (laughs) supply chain transformation. So that's what we're going to address every week. And I am excited ecstatic about all of the um, organizations and companies that have been reaching out to uh, to us. And we're a young show. So thank you very much, uh, <laughs> Scott, for giving us the opportunity. Well, hey, again, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Our team's enjoyed it. Our community has really consumed the, the content thus far. And, and, and it's a great professional development and uh, market and industry intel opportunity. And that's really what the last hour was. So Y'all check out, by the way, Click the Transform, which also will walk you through digital transformation in a very meaningful, been there, done it way. But check out, I think in the show notes, Amanda and Clay, we've got Chris and Dave's LinkedIn profiles. We've got their organizational URLs, their websites. Check it out. Again, on behalf of Thomas Carter and Kevin L. Jackson and the whole team here at Supply Chain Now, hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation. We challenge you, like we challenge ourselves every day. Hey, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here. Right. Now, thanks everybody. Thank you, thanks everybody. Look for the digital transformer figurines coming. <laughs> <laughs>